The Manufacturer Podcasts are sponsored by Sage, helping manufacturers perform at their best. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash ERP. Welcome to this podcast. I'm James Smith, Director of Publishing here at The Manufacturer. Now, The Manufacturer prides itself on serving the needs of manufacturers of all sizes, providing space for senior executives and the UK's biggest industrial champions to share their business challenges and discuss the future of the sector, but also the world beating companies of tomorrow from the UK's brittle stand. I suppose our, our vibrant and innovative equivalents to the smaller family-owned businesses of Germany's brittle stand. We run a number of activities for SMEs throughout the year, from peer-to-peer -peer learning webinars, growth conferences, various award programs, first and foremost of which is the TMX Awards, and of course, Digital Manufacturing Week, which typically gathers together over 6,000 manufacturers once a year in everyone's favorite city, Liverpool, in November. So we're certainly very engaged with the SME community, and we were happy to swap notes recently with someone who's also shared our commitment to the UK's SME sector for a number of years, Marcus Gibson, who's the editor of the eponymous Gibson Index, a database of over 70,000 of what he terms the country's best SMEs. Marcus was talking to us following the release of a new report that the Gibson Index had put out into the business opportunities that await the country's SMEs, particularly those outward-facing SME manufacturers that are now required to discover new business opportunities as we fundamentally change our trading relationships in Europe following Brexit at the end of January. This goes hand in glove with the opportunity to rebalance the economy as part of the government's stated objectives to spread opportunity more evenly across the UK and to help the great cities and towns outside of the Southeast England to benefit from the levelling up agenda. So whatever your views on Brexit, manufacturers like all businesses now need to get on and make a success of it. According to Marcus, following his research, there remains plenty of reasons to be cheerful. I mean, 70,000 SMEs is a huge amount of traction you have and obviously provides a lot of insights into the real economy. But what was it that attracted you to the SME market in particular? I used to go to the old DTI Smart Award um, achievement uh, ceremonies. There are about 11 around the UK and Scotland and Wales. And I came across more and more of these remarkable companies run by remarkable individuals doing things that just often didn't even get into the regional press. You know, they were providing, you know, sand to Saudi Arabia, Turkish delight to Turkey, and very serious things like, you know, sniper rifles, uh, deep intelligence to the US. You know, many US defense projects have a, a very high-tech British SME at the heart of what they're doing. Um, I also went to quite a few science congresses in um, IT congresses in my time and very often when a British company was going to you know, present they'd have to move the meeting from a, you know, from a side room back into the main conference hall because a thousand people you know, couldn't cram into this, the side room to hear what they had to say. Certainly, I spent 20 years out in Asia and uh, there's a very high regard in general for British products uh, and therefore for British manufacturers out there. So, uh, so it doesn't surprise me that uh, really understood to have a few challenges such as uh, a tendency to be quite risk averse, a little bit conservative when it comes to investing in 
uh, equipment and automation, uh, an over-reliance upon sort of people rather than process efficiency. What, what would you say to, to sort of those sort of comments and observations? Um, I can understand their, um, their caution in some ways because in the UK, um, in France and Germany, there's a great, and Italy, there's a great deal of under the, under the desk help from, from local institutions, you know, agricultural associations, local councils, subsidies, support, uh, embedded national markets. In the UK, you've often got nothing, none of those, uh, none of those safety nets at all. So I can, on the one hand, I can appreciate companies that are cautious. On the other hand, I see, I see many companies going to, you know, Vietnam and Chile and Saudi Arabia and standing in, you know, hot, dusty places um, and, and, you know, they're risking everything and what they're doing. So uh, I, I think I don't, um, I personally think the, the best British company is a, is a buccaneering, enterprising, you know, sometimes you, you gawp at the risks they take. So it's, it's, that's my sort of dual reaction. Sounds very much like Steve Jobs. Uh, why, why be, why be in the Navy when you can be a pirate? So uh, that that buccaneering lifestyle, uh, I think, appeals to certainly sort of an element of uh, most of us. But um, so when it comes to uh, overseas markets, obviously, it's it can be quite complicated for a small team, perhaps quite a limited uh, depth sort of management team to sort of tackle a number of the challenges of sort of going out into the, the wider world. So obviously there's a number of areas such as market research, product personalization, um, international sales, customer support, trade finance. I mean, how, how are SMEs able to address these issues when it goes to internationalizing their operations? Well, um, I copy the Americans in this, in, in, in two, two regards. First of all, they use distributors much more professionally than we do. You know, they really go to uh, Latin America and say, who are the best distributors for our products? And, and they really, you know, you know, a contract can be three or 400 pages, whereas in Britain, it's probably a dozen. But, but they take distributors much more professionally than we do. Secondly, Americans often try and sell to mid-sized companies first, before they go to the BPs, the Exxons, and, and you know the totals of this, of this world, and they often strike very good deals with those mid-sized companies, which are often much more um, uh, open-minded towards new products rather than the multinationals. So, and of course, uh, where, uh, for example, in the subsea world, Britain has, you know, in the North Sea and the uh, Aberdeen, we have something like 48% of the world market in subsea services, which is quite extraordinary. Mm. But then we export those to Mexico, you know, to the, to the Gulf there, to the Middle East, and Nigeria, etc. And, you know, just, you know, off Guinea next to Venezuela, they've discovered huge gas fields. So, you know, the, the, um, go where the market most most leads you and where it's most open and um, if you speak British you speak straight you 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 talk you talk straight you provide quality materials they really like they really like what we have and and trust is something which again the British do very well everywhere in the world I think so that brings us I suppose to the reason why we're having this conversation so I was delighted to, to receive a copy of your Britain's export boom report, which is, is it, is it hot off the press? Is it, is it, it's yes, yes. 48 hours. Uh, the, the embargo was Friday. So yes, we're two days, two and a half, one working day 
from from the launch. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on getting it out. So uh, it's it's a very substantial piece of work. I just wanted to understand sort of what what led you to to sort of write this report at this this time. Well, it all started as Walt Disney would say, you know, four years ago when in 2016 we were getting inundated with more and more success stories from small companies doing adventurous things always outside the EU. And we thought, is this just us? Or is and it, we came across the fact that um, there was this, uh, so many British companies had got tired and impatient with trying to find um, either a new or, or more contracts in the EU. And they thought, hell, you know, if Brexit goes ahead, even if it doesn't, what's the sentiment towards British companies now? Um, with all this anti-British possible sentiment. So thousands of them, if not tens of thousands, began looking with great success at finding markets and, and contracts um, in, in every part of the world, especially the three big high growth markets of the world, which as you know, is North America, Middle East and South Asia. And they've done it with extraordinary, I think it's only 8% of um, British companies actually trade with the EU, whereas something like 35% of all exporting companies trade with North America. So they were already onto a, a good thing in many areas. Uh, it might seem, I suppose you weren't to know that we'd all be in lockdown for an extended period of time uh, with all the uh, negative impacts that, that goes with that. But uh, is it a bad timing for a report like this to, to come out or, or is it in an odd way sort of good timing? Well, they always say if you launch a company in a recession, you know, things can only get better. <laughs> we'll see. Um, my view of, of the crisis is that there will be a strong resurgence the moment that people can get back to work and get yeah. going. It's quite easy to catch up. And a lot of people have not been idle during these two months. They've often had lots of strategic reviews. They've had time to think. They've had time to catch up. Um, also, of course, uh, um, if, if, if manufacturing is, is reshored in serious amounts, volumes, from China, that can only be a multi-billion pound boost in the short term to the UK economy. And I, and I see no reason why... You know, and if people take some of their holidays in the UK rather than going abroad this summer, it may not happen, but so what? And I believe obviously the channel, the, uh, the travel and hospitality industry, which has been hit very hard, you know, let's hope that most of it will survive if, if, in an, in, if possible, if it has to come back in under different ownership. Um, so that's my, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that come, good things that come out of a crisis in the longer term. So you described uh, a sort of Britain's got a sort of a Brexit boom. Uh, so obviously, you know, technically we have left, but we're still very much in the transition phase. So I suppose what I understand by Brexit boom is, is, is a more broad sort of reorientation away from continental markets of the EU to further afield, as you're describing, the higher growth markets. Uh, I think you called that the big switch. What, what's driven that? Um, it's opportunity and uh, buccaneering spirit by the, the top probably 25,000 exporting companies or new to exporting companies. It, it's uh, it, People are moving strategically. Well, in 1974, most of our trade was non-EU. It was in, in the colonies in North America. And I predict that within 12 years, that will, uh, that will um, return. 
uh, in that it's about 50-50 EU, non-EU at the moment. But the big, the big boom um, at the rate of about 40 billion a year, e additional export revenue will be in non-EU markets. So it's the great switch, strategic stretch away from Europe to the rest of the world. Now, your report sort of rather helpfully listed uh, 10, 10 sort of, I suppose, sort of drivers of, uh, of this, this opportunity for a, sort of a Brexit export boom. Uh, if we went through all 10, I think uh, it'd probably be uh, uh, perhaps expecting a little bit too much of the audience. So if we can maybe pick uh, the top three, but uh, one of the ones that certainly I found interesting was your reference to the revival of the regions and certainly I think the manufacturer has, has, has sort of aimed to uh, support this in our, in our own small way by the work that we do uh, as, a, as, a, as a publication uh, around the country and particularly in Liverpool in the northwest where we spent a lot of our time with uh, the whole digital manufacturing week series of activities that we do every November but if you could just explore a little bit more about uh, the, the revival of the regions, what are you seeing and, 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 sort of, and why, what, why is that having the, the positive impact it is? Well, I'm, I'm glad to say that you know, the, the London-centric nature of the economy, you know, is not, is, I think it's going to diminish over time. It, or rather, the London, the London peak has maybe peaked in what it is. Uh, just, just visiting the Northwest, like yourself, you've got you know, the port of Liverpool that, that's reviving. You've got serious software IT uh, companies there, biotech manufacturing, which hopefully will be, it, it's had its... Um, uh, uh, down areas, but hopefully that's going to run. And, and high net, the hydrogen uh, net, um, hydrogen growth, uh, 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 what's it, a consortium that's that, so which could make that, you know, the Merseyside into the hydrogen uh, capital of Europe. Um, as well as I think there are even areas like coal mines that might even reopen, it, though that's, people don't believe that's either a good thing or likely to happen. I'm not so sure. I think it will. But again, I, 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 we wait on that. So, also in the north, in the northeast, obviously with Nissan there, many excellent companies there, IT, cyber, marine, um, you know, uh, Exeter has got some tremendous small companies in, in biotech, medical devices. Um, Ten years ago, Bristol University was the dullest, slowest, most sort of conservative of the big UK universities. You know, they cost half a billion quid a year to run these things. Today, they are probably at the forefront of one of the biggest spin-out small company promotion uh, schemes uh, anywhere in the world. Um, and they, they're very much the equal of Oxford and Cambridge and, and London even. So again, you know, it, it's something which is driven by the, their vice chancellor, who I'm sorry to say has just, his name's gone out of my head. But the enterprising region and mm -hmm. companies can do very well, even with online, you know, the, the, uh, the online revival in, in, in Cornwall uh, with, with digital and digital media and uh, hyper, uh, hyper link companies down there doing very well. It, and um, fascinatingly, of course, Wales, the number of companies in the last three years that export in Wales has doubled in number to more than 4,000. And the average contract is not just you no know, two sheep and a woolly sweater. It's one hundred and fifty thousand pounds. It's real money. And we, why has that happened? Because they've just gone out. You know, they've gone out into the world. So the regions are, are really developing in ways that no one predicted three, even three years ago. And it's interesting. We. Uh... At the manufacturer, we, we always invite the national media to come up to, to Liverpool and uh, and see the you know 
the the assets of the region, but also the enthusiasm of, of you know manufacturers from across the country who come and visit our, our activities up there. We like to sort of invite them to, to see what's going on. It's very hard to get journalists out of London to travel up, you know, only a couple of hours on the train to, to Liverpool uh, and see for themselves. So I, I wonder whether this activity has been sort of bubbling along in spite of, I suppose, attention being uh, focused very much elsewhere. Oh, I couldn't agree more. You know, Liverpool is probably more famous in China, literally, than it is in Britain. Uh, uh, and we, we do not, you know, my former profession, really, the media, I am aghast at their laziness, you know, lack of, lack of research, and, you know, uh, and, and, and often very closed minds, etc. It's not what it was, you know. Um, you know, in my day, and probably yours as well, editors shout out as you say, what the hell have you got for me? Every time you walked in this morning, reporters who were caught at their desks were shouted at and told yeah. to get out and find a story. Today, it seems to be the reverse, you know, and um, I'm sorry to say how closed and narrow and restricted and uh, uh, poor quality the, the, U the UK national media is, especially the BBC, which, as I say endlessly, they've never employed an SME correspondent in their lives. And, and that for our national broadcaster, you know, you know is a tragedy. Happy that, that provides more space for good, good, good publications like the manufacturer to step in and, uh, and keep laser-like focus on our friends in the manufacturing community. So obviously that, that's so the, the resurgence of the region is clearly one driver for what you see as the, the big export opportunity for, for UK manufacturers. What's another big driver that, that you've seen in your search? Well, if I'm right, many of the countries in 1974, the date we joined the EU, uh, those countries around the world, their population has quadrupled. Mm. Indonesia, Egypt, many other countries. And within that, within that cohort population, the middle class, the, the, um, the uh, affluent population has gone up by millions. And those are the ones who want British China, British goods, you know, uh, uh, British books, British language uh, services, all sorts of things they now want and see Britain as being, you know, the quality, uh, you know, the, the quality standard bearer in many areas from Rolls, everything from Rolls-Royce engines to, um, there's a new there's a new diesel powered um, engine to go on the back of little power boats. Normally they're electric driven by you know, the Japanese Kawasaki's and all that. No, no, uh, they're now going for these solid, dependable British engines for their small boats. Who, who would have thought it ten years ago? You in the manufacturer, you're at the front line. You know exact. You meet these um, buccaneering chief execs every day. You know with their diaries filled with this and other trade show, Mexico City, Valparaiso you know, Cairo, da, 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 onwards. This is the, the joy and love and the fervor which you've, you're, you're recording. And, and uh, it's that bountiful population which is now there, which wasn't so much back in 1974, which is a, the great furrow which we're now plowing. So I, I was quite struck by another one of the comments you made about the, the potentially being sort of patience wearing thin with export opportunities to, to Europe and, and that has contributed to, to manufacturers turning their, their sites elsewhere. What, what do you mean by that? What, I mean, in a sense, as, as a business, I'd always want to continue selling to an established customer. So what, what are the practical changes that you think are, are impeding SMEs from continuing 
to invest in, in those markets and instead look elsewhere? Well, take power engineering. You know, back in 1989, when I first went to the European newspaper, I utterly assumed that the single market was an open market. Nothing could be further from the truth. In France, Italy, Spain, Germany, power engineering, something like 95% of all contracts are home, are home delivered. And, and no one gets a chance, uh, for even outside their own country, to get a bite of those very big energy markets. You know, even Siemens was annoyed at the way the French uh, 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 have a very conservative attitude to their power engineering. In the same elsewhere, we, we, we all know that you know, the cruise liners are built in Italy and France, to some extent Germany, because of gigantic state, state subsidies to, the, to those shipbuilders. It's not that Britain can't do it. We just don't support those sort of interests in that sort of way. So the bottom line is many of those markets are closed to, uh, you know, to, to British uh, to British exporters and always have been. You know, it's almost impossible to get a shop in southern Italy, you know, because they're just closed. They're just closed. Uh, it's impossible to start a, um, a British-owned company in, uh, in many parts of Greece. You know, we, we ha I had so many letters from people wanting to start a diving school or a language school or even a private clinic um, in Greece, because the, the, literally the, Greece, the Greek police would turn up and say, where is the Greek owner? And you say, well, there isn't one. They say, well, you've got to close. You haven't got authorization. So this massive protectionism, which no, not many people really understand that goes on in Europe, literally doesn't happen in, in much of the rest of the world. So I mean, is there, a, it strikes me that, that there seems to be certainly a, a disconnect between what you're describing as a lot of optimism from the, the many manufacturers that obviously you deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, the SME end of the spectrum, and obviously what we tend to hear from the, the larger trade bodies and obviously the, 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 the larger sort of uh, corporate champions here in the UK, why, why is that, that dissonance between outlook of, of, of both tiers of manufacture? What, what, what's behind that? Well, I am very disappointed with, with business associations and many of the people who lead them, to be honest. Um, even Chambers of Commerce, I think, often don't do a good enough job. Um, I, was, I was astonished in the run-up to Brexit, perhaps you were too, the way in which so many of these business associations uh, were dominated by middle-sized and large companies who paid most of their bills and that the opinions of the large number of small businesses in their membership were largely ignored or, or, or I think often you know, downrated in many ways. And I thought that was entirely wrong and didn't represent their membership in any, that was fair and honest. Um, so uh, I was not surprised that, that when I meet these companies in, in person, they say, you know, we are, we are so disappointed by our business associations and their lack of support. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I suppose it's, uh, I mean, it's early days, the transition is still in effect. And so in, in a sense, this is probably a conversation for the future. But certainly, it seems very encouraging that uh, the likes of uh, Renault are considering sort of moving production to, to the Nissan operations up in, in Sunderland. And obviously, it's great that Airbus, again, has, has really doubled down on its operations here in the UK. So certainly, many of the comments that perhaps were heard in the in the sort of the, the tense times of uh, the lead up to the referendum perhaps you know we're now beginning to see a, a much more uh, sort of optimistic outlook for for business in general including the larger manufacturers but yes 
Um, I have to say, I, I, I firmly uh, do not like the many of the comments made by Airbus at the time, who said they would pull out, they would, they would, you know, uh, constrict their operations here. You know, when you look at, uh, you know, when you look at Britain's um, uh, contribution to the European space, you know, space uh, aerospace business, you know, we are, you know, as you know, an Airbus aircraft, we 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 uh, manufacture and design all the difficult bits, you know, the landing gear, the wings, the engines, often some of the avionics, etc. Um, and and uh, frankly, you know, the we know the you know the, the French technological contribution to Concorde was near zero. You know, nearly all of it was came from these shores. So for these European companies to say Britain, we you know we're not going to deal with you anymore. I find that you know I frankly find that insulting, and dishonest. Uh, and and for a country for a great country like ours that has contributed so much to Europe in the past hundred years, I think that is a they will come to regret those comments. So perhaps looking ahead, what, what are your hopes for, for British manufacturers, particularly SME manufacturers, in, in the coming decade? Oddly enough, my first one is finding affordable premises in the UK. Um, very often, funny, back in the 1970s, here's a funny story, most of the best small companies in the east of England were based around Royston because all the cheap um, uh, manufacturing offices were in Royston. Come the 1980s, Cambridge was cheap, and we then had the Cambridge phenomenon. People moved from Royston to Cambridge. Well, hello, back in the night in, in, in the noughties, people were moving out of Cambridge back to Royston because it was cheap. And I often find you, know, you find this company in Malvern or in you know uh, parts of uh, you know the West Midlands, you know Telford, places which where cheap premises are very important to manufacturing companies, and there are some some disturbing evidence that foreign uh, uh, property investors have been buying manufacturing parks, business parks, industrial parks, and then demanding that they all leave um, in order to turn over these parks into into um, into, into property, you know, to make a quick buck on the property market. So my odd answer is, you know, is, is a cheap base, cheaper base in the UK. The second thing is, I would like to see the government providing um, special um, uh, fund uh, schemes to uh, train highly uh, uh, professional, professional export managers. We probably need 25,000 export managers with good language skills every year, you know, starting yesterday. And I don't think we're getting that, we're not getting that talent quite yet, you know, as, as a back, is the essential new backup into small companies. Great. Well, it's, uh, it's been lovely to, to spend some time with you going through this report. And, uh, and certainly uh, it makes a very interesting reading. Whereabouts can people find this report? Um, it's on the uh, Civitas website, which is civitas.org.uk. Um, uh, or if they send me an email at info at gibson-index.com, I'll happily send them a direct link uh, either, for either of those two methods. And it's free. I think, <clears throat> I think the published uh, document is £5 or something. But uh, uh, it's, all, it's all free online. And uh, I look forward to receiving any comments and criticisms and anecdotes that they may have. Thank you. Well, we'll make sure that the, the details are all included in the show notes for this podcast. But... Thank you so much, Marcus. It's been a real pleasure. My pleasure, James. Thank you. Take care.
Manufacturer podcasts are sponsored by Sage, helping manufacturers perform at their best. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash ERP.